Hi, this is Jean-Jacques Taylor, and you're listening to Jock Talk. This is a podcast where I talk about the Cowboys, the team I've covered as a beat writer, columnist, TV insider, and radio host for 28 years. I'll also talk about the NFL and the things I love, working out, streaming, food, and all things Dallas. My boy, Big Joe and the Big Rig, one of my oldest friends, produces the show and occasionally chimes in with his thoughts on the Cowboys. After all, he's a lifelong Cowboys fan, and he played high school, college, and semi-pro football. Welcome to Jock Talk, where sports is fluid. What's true today might not be true an hour, a day, or a month from now. I'm going to give you the truth straight. No chaser. Glad to have you aboard. Let's get it. Welcome, my friends, to episode 10 of Jacques Talk. I'm Jean-Jacques Taylor. I want you now to be prepared to be entertained and dazzled for the next hour or so. Uh, Big join the Big Rig. What's up, dog? It's all good, man. Let's go. All right. Well, you know, none of this is possible without my good friend's at Grinning Law. Uh, they allow us to operate, get the equipment that we need to make the show work for us. And so what I want you to do is if you're ever involved in an accident away from your house and you're hurt and it's not your fault, and it doesn't matter whether it's a construction site, a restaurant, a business, anywhere that's not at your home, what you need to do, seriously, is pick up the phone and call my friends at Grinning Law. 972-934-8900. Tell them about your situation and see what they say. If they bring you on as a client, I'm telling you, it's your lucky day. Whenever you're going up against somebody else's insurance company, that thing can be intimidating. It can be scary. It can be long. It can be tedious. Um, it's, it can be, a, it be something that really keeps you, keeps you up at night. Well, Grinning Law takes all that away. They handle things so that you can worry about getting your body back right and, and relaxing through the situation as much as possible. So understand, they don't get paid. Unless you get paid. Do you hear that? They don't get paid. They don't collect anything from you unless they get paid. So you never have to wonder about whether they're grinding for you, whether they're working for you, whether they're doing all things possible to help you in your case. You know, they'll even set up doctor's appointments for you. They'll find specialists for you to go to. Everything they do is designed for you to take care of yourself during this trying time. So if you're involved in an accident and it's not your fault, give them a call, 972-934-8900. And understand, you ain't got to take your boy's word for it. You can go to greeninglaw.com, check out the website, and see all of the great work that Robert Greening and the Green team is doing, uh, especially in East Dallas and the Brian Adams. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, like I said, check them out. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research, and you'll find that if you're involved in an accident and it's just not your fault, that Greening Law is the place to go. Right now, though, you know, we like to start every Wednesday with a little something we call key plays that shape the game. Uh, there's usually four of them. Uh, every now and then, something crazy happens. We have to throw in a bonus one. But these are plays that maybe you, you didn't pay a whole lot of attention to during the game that actually ended up playing a big role in that 28-16 debacle in the desert. And so when you, when you think, you know, Cowboys did everything possible, literally, to lose the game. And I take it a step further. When you're a heavy favorite, and they were tail and a half point favorites, you have to go out of your way to help the other team. I remember telling y'all when we talked about who wins the game last Friday, I told you the Cardinals can't win if the Cowboys don't help them. And the Cowboys helped them with 10 first quarter penalties. I mean, 10 first half penalties. They helped them with a run defense that gave up 182 yards, which is insane for one half of football at the NFL level. And then they helped them by letting them get the momentum early and play with a lead, and they breathed confidence into the Cardinals. And all of that did was just make their job that much more difficult. And so the Cowboys are down 
three nothing after uh, the Cardinals take the opening kickoff and score. Cowboys basically go four and out. They punt the ball, and here's where, and this happens a lot. But I'm talking like we're five minutes into the game, and it's like, why is this a big series already? Because if you give up a touchdown here, you're down ten nothing. The game has just started, and now you have to respond. Otherwise, what? You might find yourself down 17 nothing in the first quarter, and the game is essentially over. So this was a huge drive. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the Cowboys, the best part of their team is defense. And so you're, you're waiting for them to make a play. And so here it is, second and 10, because they get a stop on first down. Okay, now you have them where you want them. Josh Dobbs in a passing situation. And here's what happened. Because Trayvon Diggs is out. And a flag flies. Pass interference. Defense number 26. Ball is placed in the spot of the foul. Automatic first down. I'm telling you, that hurt. Because if the pass is incomplete, now it's third and 10, what are you going to do? You're going to rush four. You're going to drop seven. You're going to play coverage. You're going to have four guys at the sticks. You're going to make them catch the ball in front of you, rally to the ball, tackle, get the ball back, and hopefully go, go take, tie the score, take the lead. Instead, that gives them a first down in Dallas territory. Y'all know what happened next, man. They went right down the field and uh, scored a touchdown on James Conner's uh, five-yard run around right in. And just like that, it's 9 nothing, Arizona with, uh, you know, eight minutes left, uh, four minutes left in the, in the first half, and it's like in the first quarter. And it's like the Cowboys are already in a terrible situation the game has just started, and most importantly, they didn't breathe life into the Arizona Cardinals. So as we move on to play two, the game has settled down a little bit. Cowboys are not in control, but at least it's settled down. It's, uh, it's 15 to 10, 18 to 10, and it's the end of the first half. Now, the problem for the Cowboys is there's a pass interference call on CeeDee Lamb, which basically ruins the drive as they're trying to get points before the end of the half because that turns it into first and 20. We all know that that's hard to convert. And then they throw three, they throw consecutive uh, incompletions, and basically that stops the clock. So now the Cardinals are like, oh, my God, we got a chance to get points before the end of the half. And so here's how you know the Cardinals were feeling confident. They get the ball with 25 seconds left in the first half at their own 29, and they're trying to throw the ball. But guess what happens? There's a uh, defensive offsides on uh, somebody, uh, who was that? Oh, Diggy Zua. Now, dog, you lined up right on the ball. Right on the ball, and you're offsides. And then, so it's uh, second and five. And here's what happens on this play. The timeout, 20 seconds, up to the 43. More movement up front. This is a free play. Dobbs for Wilson. He's got it. But out of bounds, knocked out by Bland. Back-to-back plays. Offside, defense number 56. Five-yard penalty, it remains first down. Dante Fowler this time. You want a clue that the Cowboys weren't focused? You want a clue that the Cowboys weren't ready to play? You want a clue that the Cowboys' were bodies were in Arizona, but their minds were who knows where? Back-to-back offsides penalties. That gives them 10 yards. That jump starts their drive. They don't even have to do nothing. 
Um, now, talking to Michael Parsons after the game, he said that he thought it was a result of the uh, Cardinals talking to the officials before the game saying, hey, the Cowboys line up in the neutral zone a lot of times, keep an eye on it. And uh, because he said that one of the officials asked him, hey, do you want me to give you that thumbs up like to give wide receivers that you lined up properly? And uh, Michael said he thought it was odd that somebody would ask him that because he hadn't really heard that question before. So they line up offsides. They give him 10 free yards. A couple completions later, and guess what happens? Cardinals line up for a 62-yard field goal from Matt Prater. Now, Matt Prater owed his dirt, but 62 yards, he lines up, kicks that thing right through the uprights by about a couple yards. So it looks like his max distance is about 64 yards. And all of a sudden, 18 to 10 swells to 21 to 10. And it's just like it was that last thing the Cardinals need to put the cherry on top as they face for the first half and uh, really seize control of the game. And to me, that was a uh, that was a big deal for the Cowboys because it gave the Cardinals just another boost of confidence that this was a game they could definitely win. And when you're playing a 12 point underdog, the last thing in the world you want to get them boys confidence. But that's what they did it. Um, so as we move into the third quarter here and play number three, as we go through four plays that shaped the game in the Cowboys' 28-16 loss to the Arizona Cardinals, there's 3.51 left in the third quarter. The Cowboys have moved within 21-13. And see, the frustrating thing about this game to a lot of fans and probably to the Cowboys themselves is that they were always hanging around close enough that, you know, I like to say this all the time, hey, man, it's time for somebody to go make a play. Because if somebody goes and makes a play, um, you can get back in the game. And this was their opportunity. They moved the ball uh, from their 16 all the way to the Arizona 11. Big play was Tony Pollard went 31 yards. Uh, you know, he gets down to the uh, Arizona 11. And so they're moving the ball, man. And it's second and eight. Then it's third and three from the four. And this is a situation where, okay, it's... The way you're thinking now is, okay, it's third and three from the four. This, to me, feels like two-down territory. So I'm not going to be surprised if they run the ball uh, to get it to the two or the one and make an easier decision on fourth down or, or a different sort of play call on fourth down. So that's what I'm anticipating. Instead, here's what happens on third and three from the Arizona four. Pollard comes back in. They like Ferguson down here as well. Tight end to the right side. It drops the snap. Picks it up, escapes with the flag down, likely holding, throws into the end zone, and Wilson knocks it away. Oh, a whole lot happening on that play. Penalty flag in the backfield, and a rule over all of it. Let's see. Well, you decline it and take fourth and three, Holding. you would think. Offense number 71, 10 yard penalty, repeat third down. They're going to have him repeat third down. Dude, that to me is a killer. Because Idoka gets the holding call. Now it's third and 13. So, yeah, what happens? Dak Prescott completes a pass to Jake Ferguson, and they get uh, 10 yards. But now you're back at fourth and three. And Mike McCarthy, who was feeling that desperation right there, he was looking for, as Bill Parcells would say back in the day, he was looking for some impetus to really get his team going because the Cowboys hadn't played with a lot of emotion. The Cardinals had all the emotion. They had all the momentum. He was looking for something to spark his team. So he opted to go for it on fourth and three. Now, uh, Joe, were you down with the fourth and three decision or did you want the field goal? 
No, I, I was I was okay with it. Like I said before, the the it was the attempt. You know, if you you, you got you got to run a better play on fourth and three. So, needless to say, Dak drops back in the pocket. I thought they'd give him more of a run pass option, but they didn't. Uh, there's nothing there. He eventually starts rolling right. And there was a little bit of, of uh, conversation locally on sports talk radio waves about because the pass he threw was kind of in the dirt, in the ground. CeeDee Lamb, nobody really had a chance to catch it. And some people were like, well, you got to give, you got to throw and give him a chance to catch it if he's intercepted. So what? And I haven't had a chance to ask Dak. Uh, but the reality of it is, you don't really want an interception because you don't want him to bring the ball out to the 20 or the 25. You want the ball at the three uh, so that your defense can uh, hopefully hold him and get the ball back. But it's incomplete. Arizona gets the momentum, staves it off. And right then, you're like, I don't know how many more chances they're going to get because both teams are running the ball. The game is shortening up. And, yeah, we're still in the third quarter, but you're down by a touchdown, and it just feels like you're running out of time. Why? Because you ain't stopped nobody for the, for the most part. Well, you certainly haven't stopped them consistently. Uh, there haven't been very many three and outs, and so it's looking like what is Dallas going to do to get back in the game? And to me, that was a big problem for them. And so as we move on to the final play, there's 525 left in the game. It's 28-16 Arizona. And so now, Cowboys, you would think, are in full hurry-up mode, uh, get to the line, throw the ball, uh, try to score a touchdown, because the only way they're going to win this game at this particular time, if we're being honest, and I, this, this ain't breaking no news, all right, is touchdown, Basically, three and out, touchdown at the buzzer, walk it off, 30 to, uh, to 28. That's the, that's the only plausible way I see them winning it. And so they needed to score quickly so that even if Arizona got a first down, you still had time to use some timeouts and get the ball back in a reasonable amount of time to uh, hope for a miracle and score this fourth, score the second touchdown. But first, you got to get the first one. And so once again, the Cowboys are now kind of moving the ball a little consistently. They're getting stopped in the red zone, but at least they're getting to the red zone. And so I'm here to tell you, 525 left in the game. It's uh, second and one from the Arizona 18. Now, I will say this. I don't often give myself credit. Okay, that's a lie. I give myself credit quite a bit because if yeah. you don't clap for yourself. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Who's going to clap for you? So I think earlier in the drive, they had completed a uh, slant for about 21 yards to Michael Gallup. It was about the second or third time they had hit the slant to Gallup. And so your boy, that's me, your boy, put on Twitter, it's time for the slant and go to Gallup. I mean, it was just, it was obvious to me that we done ran the slant about three times, then busted him for about three times. If he see that slant move, the corner just, just, just because subconsciously he going to break hard on that slant move to try to pick that ball because he's tired of getting beat like that. And so what happened, man? They pulled the slant and go, also known as a sluggo route. Hey, just so y'all know, that was Dez Bryant's favorite route to run. Not the back shoulder fade. He was best at that. But his favorite route to run was a sluggo, sluggo route, and he patterned his sluggo route after Antonio Brown, before Antonio Brown lost his mind. That's just a little nugget I like to give y'all from time to time. So they run the uh, slant and go to Gallup, who's open. Dak is late with the ball, though. But the corner hits Gallup 
Wilson hits Gallup as he's in the back of the end zone. And they throw the flag. And, Doug, I don't know what I was doing. I was probably writing some notes down at that particular time because last thing I knew was there's a flag on the play. I dip my head. I'm writing notes. I'm thinking, okay, they got the ball first and goal at the one, five minutes left. Even they can score from the one, whether it's Pollard, whether it's Dak, whether it's the, the fullback. Uh, they're going to be within a touchdown, three and out, use your timeouts. They might got a chance to steal this thing. I look up, and all of a sudden, it's uh, nothing's changed. <laughs> it's, uh, they still got the ball back at the line of scrimmage. And I'm like, what the hell happened? Why are they still at the, uh, at the 18-yard line? And so they picked up the flag and said it wasn't passing the fringe. What was your take on that, on that call? I thought the the cornerback didn't get his head around. He it was clearly pass interference. Uh, they, I, usually in that situation, if a guy gets his head around, he he can bump the receiver. If a guy get his head around and act like he's looking for the ball, they won't call it. But this time he was clearly, it was clearly pass interference. He was in catch up mode. Yeah, I didn't even think it was. I I was shocked because you're absolutely right. Um, if you turn your head and look for the ball, you can damn near do whatever you want to do to a receiver. But you got to turn your head and look, look toward the ball. He did none of that, and I was just shocked uh, that they picked it up. Now, the flip side is if Dak throws the ball on time, it's probably an easier touchdown. Um, but instead, they don't get it. And then came the strangest set of calls I've seen. They just started running Tony Pollard five straight carries. And then ultimately, Dak throws a uh, pick on third and six. The ball game's over. Cowboys lose 28-16. Uh, tough loss. Uh, they can regroup this week. But, uh, you know, that's your four plays that shaped the game. And uh, now, uh, you know, it's uh, – I don't know, man. Uh, they got New England coming up. It's going to be a tough game because New England going to play it tight. But, uh, you know, we'll see if the Cowboys regroup. Um, I think they will because early in the season, they know they played bad. They know they, know they overlooked them. Uh, and we'll, we'll see what, uh, what they go next. But now let's, uh, let's go call my man Todd Archer, brought to us each and every Wednesday by Smokey John's Barbecue. And we're brought to you uh, by my man, Smokey John's Barbecue, Todd Archer, each and every Wednesday. Todd, what's shaking, baby? How we doing? How was Oregon? <laughs> Oregon was fantastic. You saw, you, you saw my wife more than, my, than I did this past weekend. Ah, did she show you the beautiful selfie we took? She did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a good time. Caught up with all the girls. She had far more information than you typically have, so it was a good time. Uh, Oregon. Uh, we're gonna tell y'all more about it later in the show, but it was a it's a fantastic setting, man. It's beautiful. The stadium is beautiful. The backdrop is beautiful. The game, not so much. But hey, that's kind of like the game you saw in Oregon. I mean, in uh, Arizona this week. What the hell was that? I yeah. I mean, the, it's the Cowboys being the Cowboys, right? And I'm I'm not overreacting to that loss because my thought process on this entire season has been this: nothing they do. September, October, November, December, early January matters. This entire season, this entire regime, this uh, head coach quarterback combination, everything is about what they do in the playoffs. So I'm not going to get carried away with a bad performance uh, against Arizona. Now, if it carries on, then you get carried away because you might miss the playoffs 
and then there's bigger things at, at hand. But that was a to me we're putting the scale on who you're going to blame. I'm not going Dak and McCarthy. I'm going that defense. They weren't without three defensive line starters. They were without Trayvon Diggs. I got you. But that first half performance was pathetic. It, it just was. It was awful. It, you let Josh Dobbs control the game. You, you, I mean, that if if you're going to talk about the 01 Ravens, the 85 Bears, the great defenses in NFL history, you can't do what you did in that first half, and even just for the entire game against Arizona. No, where uh, I know you talked to Dan Quinn yesterday. Where uh, where did he put the blame for the defensive performance? It it wasn't. I, I don't want to say he wasn't blaming the scheme, the scheme and the game plan on this stuff because the first thing he said to us was when someone said, "Man, that didn't look like your defense." He said that felt like a five finger slap across the face, <laughs> and that's what it was. It, it, so it was more about the effort almost than than and the juice and the energy than it was guys blowing assignments and getting out of gaps and doing all that, which they did all that stuff too. But what bothered her more was just the, the lack of energy that they had uh, from, from the beginning of the game. Think about it. You know, Dobbs goes for 44 yards on that first drive on, on, a, on a simple run. Um, and look, you know, McCarthy said yesterday, they did a lot of the Phila- what, what Philadelphia does in the run game. Duh. Well, that's not good. That's not good because Philadelphia does it a lot better than their Arizona Cardinals do. And you got Philadelphia twice. So, yeah, that, that was a, a humbling performance by a defense that you thought was past these sort of things. But, again, why should we think they're past these sort of things when this is what's always kind of happened? Why does a team need a wake-up call in week three? Yeah, I don't know. Well, especially when you got everything in front of you. Uh, I, I was I was really surprised. I'm uh, I'm kind of down with uh, with Dan Quinn DQ on the sense that they just didn't look like uh, they had that energy flying around the way they usually are, trash talking, and um, you know. And I don't know if they had some some hangover from uh, Trayvon Diggs being hurt, uh, but. You know, they all had like, oh, we're going to play for you. We got you, my brother. Well, that's a sad, sad, sorry way to show that you got his back. Well, all that may be true, right? What you said, they, they just, you know, the, they were upset that they lost the guy. Well, the offense lost Dak Prescott in the season opener last year. They lost Tyron Smith in a training camp practice last year, and he missed 13 games. And they still went 4-1 and one without their quarterback. Now, they played differently, obviously, with Cooper Rush than they would have done with Dak. But they still responded. That was a that was a poor response. Let's just put it that way. And look, the Patriots' strength is their running game with Ramondre Stevenson, and we know Zeke Elliott's going to be fired up to come back here. Yes, you don't sir. think the Patriots are going to have something for that for, for the Cowboys' run defense uh, on, on Sunday? I mean, they ran it forty times for one hundred and fifty-seven yards against the Jets. They don't mind running it fifty times if it's working. And, right, and it was a bad weather game and, you know, rain and wind and all that kind of stuff. But I wish I had it in front of me. How many yards did the Cowboys run against the Jets the previous week? I'm, it may have actually been pretty decent now that I'm thinking about it. But I don't think it was 40 times, was it? No, nah, but I do know that Tony Pollard had 23 for 72, uh, which is good but not great. Uh, I, like, but here's the point is I don't remember them just running up and down the field on the Jets. 
Uh, now you got me looking it up because, you know. I, I got it right here right in front of me. This is what we do. Yeah. They ran do. it 44 times for 134 yards. Three yards a carry. Right. So so the Patriots were, what, just shy of four yards a carry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe will tell you it's, it's about that commitment. If you don't stop it, then the Patriots will keep running it, condense the game, slow it down, and then see if they can win it in fourth or maintain the lead if they've got one, kind of like the Cardinals did. Uh, but you always feel desperate because the game is shortened. Right, and then that goes to what I'm sure you're going to ask me next, the red zone offense. So when the, when the game's like that, you better maximize opportunities and you can't settle for field goals. And right now they're three for their last 11 in the red zone. They've, they've had eight misses this season. Eight misses this season? Nine misses this season. Eight or nine misses this season in the red zone. They had 16 all of last year when they wow. were the best red zone team in the league. All right, what do you think is the deal? Yes, they miss Zeke. Uh, no, the decision to get rid of Zeke w- was not the wrong thing. You weren't going to pay him that kind of money to be short yardage goal line guy when you got a $10 million franchise tag on Tony Pollard. Uh, yeah, they, they missed Alton Schultz, but let's not act like he's a touchdown machine either. Um, <laughs> right, right. I I think it's... It's everything, and I hate to go to the execution things. That's what coaches do, um, but they they have to do a better job of scheming it up down there. The other guys have to do a better job of winning on the outside down there, and, and Dak has to do a better job of putting the ball in the right spot. The, the the pass interference that was called off on Gallup, that ball should have been thrown better. Shouldn't have been underthrown. Should have been a spot where Gallup goes up and gets it. The interception to Cooks. Probably never should have been thrown there to be to begin with, because uh, there were three guys around Cooks. But that ball's right. gonna be higher. They call it a goalpost throw. It's gotta be a, a two-handed dunk throw off the goalpost. Well, why are you throwing it to a five-nine receiver then if he's got to go up to dunk it on the goalpost? Shouldn't right, there right. be somebody else in that in that situation? Um, and one thing, what, what Parcells Parcells tell Jacques about the red zone? The best teams run it into the end zone. When, yes. For, in, in goal. The Cowboys aren't doing that. And I just I added up all of Pollard's red zone runs. He's had 23 for 47 and two touchdowns, had another touchdown called back against the Jets. Those numbers in and of itself really aren't that bad when you go back to Zeke last year, was 39 carries, 111 yards in the red zone, but he had 12 touchdowns. So, yeah, I'm sure they missed Byron Smith, Biotish, Zach Martin, um, but – I'm not blaming three new offensive linemen for their lack of success in the red zone when there was a lack of success the week before against the Jets. I, I, I think you have to look at what's being called. The, the option run is the lamb. The heck was that? Who are you fooling down there? No, now the screen, awful call. The, screen call the, the screen call to Dowdle, good call. Cowboys are the screen pass. They almost had a heart attack. First time they scored a <laughs> touchdown on a screen pass in 40 games. Wow. Uh, I thought the, the read option was there, but Dak handed it off instead of keeping it. I think if he keeps it, he walks in. Uh, I don't think he walks in. I saw that same play, too. There are three defenders right there. The, the, the one safety is looking at Pollard, so he would have crashed in on when he saw, saw uh, Dak with the ball. And CD ran like a little fake bubble kind of thing, so he wasn't blocking the receiver. They don't lose any yards on the play. I'll grant you that. They probably get it to the – Three, two, one, something like that. But I don't know if he walks in. All right. 
Well, I'd have took that because then you could have gone maybe and got that yard or two on the next play. But uh, they've got to figure out the red zone. They've got to figure out quickly. Um, what do you think about Mike McCarthy uh, saying he didn't handle the offensive line uh, situation right in terms of getting his guys ready uh, for the game? I mean, I is guess that a, you is like that a the good interpretation. Yeah, I, I guess you like the accountability of that. Like, I don't know what he could have done because, okay, Zach Martin didn't practice all week, so I'm going to assume T.J. Bass got a lot of work at right guard during the game or during the week. Um, Biotish gets hurt late in Thursday's practice, so really you have one day of work with Hoffman as your center. Um, so I don't know what else you can do. And then Tyron shows up at the injury report on Saturday. Well, I don't know what you do with the Chuma Doga. Other, but here's one thing I do wonder. They kick Tyler Smith out to left tackle now. Now you have a full week to get ready for a game. Is Tyler Smith an option to move out to left tackle? Uh, I don't hasn't think done, it hasn't, hasn't done it at all. Didn't take any snaps there in the, off, in the offseason program and training camp. But obviously he played well there a year ago. I would have. I would do that without even thinking about it because one, he's a better player and a better athlete than Idoga, and then two, Idoga's going to be a better guard than he is a tackle. And so, right. yes, you're changing those two spots, but I think you're putting, in, you're putting your best five out there if, if you go like that. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I think Tyler would be fine to tackle. He's done it before a week of practice. Much, much, much of it should come back to him. Uh, but I would go, I would, I would take that route. And especially if Look, is Tyron Smith, uh, is he going to miss a couple, three games here? Then maybe that's what you do. If it's just going to be one more game, maybe you try to get away with it. For the Patriots' defense, we, I mean, still solid defense, man. They, they, they've limited some pretty good offenses in the first few weeks. Not the Jets, not talking about them, but, you know, Miami scored 24. The Eagles scored 25. You know, it, it's hard to move the ball and score touchdowns on these guys. Let me ask you this, because what does Bill Belichick do best? He takes away what you like to do best. Early uh, in, the, in the aughts when the Cowboys played him, he, he would take away Jason Witten. Uh, you know, who do you think he take? He took away uh, Tyreek Hill when they played him two weeks ago. That, Tyreek had five catches for 40 yards in that uh, 24-17 loss. Who do you think he takes away uh, Sunday? Right. I, I don't know how you say anybody, but um... – CD on this one, right? I mean, and go back to when these guys played a couple of years ago and, and CD went off for a hundred and ooh, I know he had the winning touchdown. How many yards did he have in that game? Over, he, he was pretty dominant in that game. Nine for 149 and two touchdowns. Right, right, right. So I, I think that's the guy that he looks and says, let's take this guy away. Um, because he's their biggest threat. Um, Obviously, he knows Brandon Cooks. He coached Brandon Cooks. He knows what he can do. Uh, he's gone against Gallup uh, a couple, maybe times in, in his career as well. So I think it's, you know, they, to make them play left-handed, you, you take away C.D. Lamb and you double him. I'm curious to see, you know, the Christian Gonzalez, local guy, Carrollton, the Colony, yeah. one of those, right? Uh, yeah, I think he went, maybe it was Hebron. Okay. He's a guy that has done a pretty decent job and some pretty good receivers here. Uh, limited Garrett Wilson last week. Again, weather, Zach Wilson, not going to put him in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, Schottenheimer said he's been a very impressive young cornerback here early on. You know, maybe they do some things with him. Um, be a lot to ask a rookie. But I bet CD has to be the guy that they say, 
you slow him down, you're slowing down the Cowboys offense. Heck, just look at last week. CD was what, four for 53? Yeah. You know, so on seven targets, you know, he wasn't going off like he did the first couple of games. To me, that's the guy you got to slow down. All right, before we let you get out of here, I know it's early in the week, but who you like Sunday? Huh. You know, if Brady was playing, <laughs> I'd probably pick the Patriots because <laughs> he never loses to the Cowboys. Right. I'll go the Cowboys in a rebound game at home, and I think that defense kind of plays back to what it was. And, and New England's offense is limited. Um, I think they do enough to slow down the run, get a lead, and make the Patriots play from behind. And that's the one thing that Patriots haven't been able to do really is is show that they can come from behind uh, and, and win late games. So I'll, I'll go Cowboys in a closer one than people expect. All right, that's good. Arch, we appreciate you, man. Talk to you uh, next right. week. Sounds good. Thanks, y'all. All right, all right, brother. That's uh, Todd Archer brought to you by Smokey John's Barbecue each and every Wednesday on uh, Jacques Talk. Now, what I've been trying, as a matter of fact, I talked to Big Joe about this yesterday. I said, we've got to get you a jam session bowl from Smokey John's Barbecue. I said, uh, I'm out of town for the next couple of weeks, but when I get back, uh, if I have to bring it to you, because he lives way out in Crowley. I mean, it's not quite Birmingham like Matt was on Jam Session, but it's damn near to Birmingham uh, when you're talking Crowley. But I told Big Joe and Big Rig I would bring him a Jam Session bowl unless he wanted to make that ride. Now, he's never volunteered to make that ride, so I'm not really anticipating to make that ride. But uh, the Jam Session bowl would be worth making a ride. We had a cat make the ride from Sherman to get the Jam Session bowl. And so that's how good it is. Now, just so y'all know, you just can't walk in there, look on the menu and say, hey, where's the Jam Session Bowl? It's on the secret menu. If you don't listen to Jock Talk or you didn't listen to Jam Session, then you ain't going to know nothing about it. So I'm telling y'all, go ask for the Jam Session Bowl at Smokey John's right there about five minutes from downtown Dallas on Mockingbird. And here's why you should ask for it. The year bowl and you get to pick mac and cheese, mashed potatoes. Then they tell you, hey, you get your pick out of two out of five smoked meats. Now, you can double down like I did one time with the brisket. I said, I want all brisket, two helpings of it. Now, that was fantastic. But, ah, see, I got you right there. But normally, yeah. Yeah. I rock with the brisket and the, uh, and the sausage. That's really how I get down most of the time. And then, once you put that in there, man, all that stuff you find on the loaded baked potato, you know, chives, bacon bits, butter, cheese, sour cream, all that stuff, man. They put that on top. And then, if you like your boy, you drizzle it with some sauce. Now, other people like it drenched with some sauce. And then they mix it all up, and, uh, and down it goes. Now, I'm telling you, this is no cap, as the young folks say. It's enough food for two people, easy, the jam session bowl. And if you got, uh, if you got a little shorty that's like six or seven, the three of y'all can eat off of it, no problem at all. Um, so I'm telling you, uh, and then if you just flying solo, you're probably taking some home because it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of food. And so now, you know, the other thing is, if you want uh, to have a little taste of Smokey Johns in your crib, go to the website SmokeyJohns.com, and then go to uh, the market, click on the sauce. You can get a bottle of the sauce sent to the crib. You can get a bottle of the rub sent to the crib. They got a new 12 ounce bottle because the other one was going people was going through it too fast. That's what I'm telling you. You can have a little taste of Smokey John's at your crib whenever you want it. Or if you live in DFW, go by H-E-B. They got it at H-E-B's, man. It's everywhere. Smokey John's Barbecue, the Jam Session Bowl. It is delicious. 
uh, it's mouth watering. It's to live for. Take my word for it. It's to live for. Now, let's move on to my favorite. Hey, do y'all know what my favorite sport is? Most of y'all probably think my favorite sport is the NFL. It's not. My favorite sport is college football. Now, y'all know why it's college football? It's not just because I went to Ohio State, which is a real football program. You went to the Ohio State University. I don't don't like to always toss that out there. Yeah, but you do, though. But I do when it's warranted because I was doing a Zoom call with some – I was doing a podcast for some kids in the Bill Roden uh, Journalism Fellowship at ESPN this weekend. And uh, they started the podcast – and uh, Bill goes, um, hey, this is uh, Jean-Jacques Taylor. Uh, you guys introduce yourselves. And so it's three of them, three of them got fellowships. Uh, they kind of range between three and eight or three and ten on some years. So they got three this year. And one person says, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm from the Howard University. And this is a Zoom call, so I kind of gave her a side eye. <laughs> and then the next guy was like, I'm from uh, the Florida A&M University. I'm like... I gave him the side eye, too. And then the last person, I can't remember where she said, but she didn't have the in front of her name. I said, what's up with that? There's only one school that says the. One school that I got a T-shirt that you can walk around that's bright red that got in gray, the. I just walk around with that. And all of y'all would know what I'm talking about. It's that simple. And so, um, you know, uh, but anyway, to get back to my point. So college football is my favorite sport. And uh, this was a great college football weekend. Uh, let's start it off in Oregon. Where, yeah, I made the trip up to Eugene. And, and as I was telling Todd Archer, it is, it is picturesque. I had no expectations. I mean, Autzen Field on uh, NCAA College Football 2014 is a nice place to play. And if you get behind the ducks up there, them, them lines will start squiggling with that crowd noise and they get hyped and you can't hear. And I think uh, my Buckeyes went up there and got beat a couple of years ago. Seems like we did. I think the field, like uh, the field, two is, shades of green. Yeah, it's like painted every five yards or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that's cool. So all of that is very, 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 very nice. Um, very, very nice. And so uh, what I like most about it is that uh, we went up to Eugene, and like I said, man, you got pine trees in the background. And it's just, uh, it's just gorgeous. And so, uh, now the game, not so much. Now I got to be real with you. I did not expect Oregon to, uh, I mean, I did not expect Colorado to put up. Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I thought they'd lose by at least a couple touchdowns. And as I was talking to uh, some guys uh, before the game, I was like, there's three different storylines for this game coming out of it. Um, one of them is, what if they lose, uh, you know, I said, what if they lose 31-7? That's one storyline, all right? I said, uh, what if they lose 56-42? I said, that's another storyline. I said, what if they win by whatever score? That's another storyline. Uh, but, as we all know, and, you know, man, I've watched enough football, just like I watched the Cowboys game Sunday. We're about two possessions into the game, and I go, well, this one is not going to be pretty. <laughs> I mean, I could just tell. Uh, Oregon was amped up. Uh, they were taking advantage of every flaw that Colorado had, 
And so I didn't, I, I just wasn't sure how they were going to overcome those flaws. And then uh, when you throw in the fact that, and, and I've talked to a couple of people about this, and uh, I'm going up to uh, Boulder this week, and I'm really interested to get the answer to this. Uh, and me and Joe exchanged some texts about it the other day. They were really running through Colorado's players several different times. And I just wondered if I thought it was uh, they were just physically stronger. I didn't think it was so much a technique thing because they were hitting them square and they were still running through them. And I wondered and I'm, I'm curious to ask the strength and conditioning guys as well as Dion when I talk to him, like, how much did you did you see what I saw and how much of that was maybe motion or how much of that? Was y'all, you know, you got to do some different set of tackling drills or you don't tackle enough in practice or how much of that is they've been in Oregon's weight strength training program for three or four years. And your guys basically some of them have been through there one time and some of them haven't even been through there yet. And so they're just physically stronger than your guys. The tackling looked like it looked like technique to me. I wonder how I wonder how they practice. Do they do they. Do they not practice against? Do, do they not practice against each other? Do they have a scout team? I mean, how many players do they have up there in Colorado? Now they, they, got, enough, they got uh, they got however many players they're supposed to have. Uh, they practice against a scout team. They got a scout team. Uh, now you got to understand, at the talent level, the scout team is not that good, right. Uh, right? Or you know, and when I was up there a couple of weeks ago, he was yelling at the scout team, uh, not yelling at them. He was talking sternly to them because <laughs> he wasn't really yelling. Yeah. But he was talking sternly to them during practice. I mean, during the team meeting saying, essentially, y'all got to give the guys a better look. If you're on a scout team, you should be acting like it's just basically you said like a game so that you can move up to the second team. Yeah. And then when you're on the second team and you're going up against the ones, you should be acting like it's a game so you can get to the first team. Uh, and he said, that's the attitude you should have all the time at practice. If you're on a scout team, you should be playing like you want to move up. Um, and we're not getting that on a consistent basis. Um, that's what he said. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. And like I said, now, USC poses a different sort of problem. And here's the uh, – okay, I'm not breaking any news Hold on, here. hold on, hold on. I got a question. Did they really – did Colorado really stomp on the logo in Alsonville? Uh, a few people did. Um, I thought that was kind of whack. I guess that's an old term. I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't like that move I'm just sorry. because. I like the term dumbassness. Okay. Yeah, that's that's, that's some dumbassness I mean, right there. I mean, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it just because they made such a big deal that Nebraska was on they on they Buffalo and Nebraska was pl- said they were praying as a team. And they got mad about that. So if you get mad because somebody's on your buffalo, it seems to me like the last thing you should do is go to somebody else's house and go in there. Oh, uh, but, you know, this is this is the generation we live in. These are the these are the kids that we have where everything's about Instagram and video. And that's why people knew about it. Why? Because you videoed it and put it on Instagram. Yeah. Um, so but at the end of the day, we all know that that doesn't mean a whole lot. It, what it means is if you win. It allows you to talk smack. We stomped on the O, and they couldn't do nothing about it. If you lose, it allows the other team to say you stomped on us on our O, and we took it out on you, and that's what motivated us. Uh, because every coach in America has told every team at some point, 
all that emotion, all that stuff, all that locker room pregame speech, all that jumping up and down in the circle right before the game, as soon as somebody knocked the snot out of you in one of them first two or three plays, that's all done, and it's, and it settles into a football game, and it's about technique and desire and, and want to and skill. Uh, so it became very clear that uh, Oregon was a superior team. And when I talk about what Colorado does, Colorado's defense is atrocious. Uh, there's not any way, other way to say it. They don't have the horses. They don't have the players. Uh, it would help if Travis Hunter was there, but that wouldn't help you against the run game that had 200 and something yards. Uh, you would, know, the other thing. It would help, it would help if, if the offense could, could, could stay on the field longer. It would well, help what if Dion them could run the ball. The, the defense is small. When they get tired, it's over. Well, yeah, what I'm getting at is they survived in first three games. I don't have the exact number, but they had between 10 and 12 turnovers. And several of those turnovers were in the red zone. Uh, at least a handful of them, three or four of them were in the red zone. Um, but offensively, and this is what I mean when I'm not breaking news, they have to win first down. Uh, so that they can stay manageable on second and third and create options because their offensive line is just not good enough. And so, you know, and the combination of the offensive line being not good enough and Shadour holding the ball too long sometimes trying to make a play has resulted in him getting sacked about an average of seven times a game. Well, that's too many. Why? Because sacks are drive killers. And so, you know, what they really have to preach to Shadur is you got to look, you got to go through your progressions, and if it's not there, you literally need to airmail it so that we can stay in second and eight. Because occasionally you'll escape those guys and you'll make a big play. But more times than not, you're not going to escape them, and you're either going to get sacked, and now it's, you know, second and 22 because you ran around a little bit, um, and you're getting hit. If he goes down... It's a wrap, dog. So, I mean, they have to keep him upright. Uh, and well, they're trying they, to go – They got to do stuff to protect him, though. Where, where was the screen passes and the swing passes that they threw against TCU? Uh, what was the route I, combination where they did a slant, they did a slant and a swing pass with, with number three where he got open, you know, he got open in the flat. They don't, they don't get the ball uh, out of Shadour's hands. Well, uh, some of that I think, and I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask some questions on that this week. I saw them, they tried a couple screen passes. Uh, they didn't work as well this week. And the other thing is Shadur, like a lot of quarterbacks, like a lot of quarterbacks, he got to take that pass when it's there. Like you take your look, your look's not there. The swing pass or the check down is open. You have to take it then. Mm -hmm. Because if you go back and, okay, I look, the check is open. Let me look one more time. By the time you get back to the check, he's either so close to the sideline, he ain't got no room to maneuver, or somebody's out there with him now. So if you get it, if you look, take your read. If it's not there, hit the check down. You can get some of those four- and five-yard gains, which to this offense is very helpful because it keeps you manageable. Um, USC, who they have this week, uh, is going to put up a big number on them because, for no other reason, they literally can't rush the passer. And so if you give Caleb Williams all that time, they're going to find receivers. They're going to make plays. They're going to score points. The question is, Arizona State scored, I think, 24 points on them. You can move the ball on USC's defense, but you have to stay in the game where, uh, where, it's, where they just can't say you have no run game, and then you have to try – whatever means possible to get a running game going. 
I don't know how to do that because they, they've tried this year and haven't been very successful. But uh, they've got some good backs, uh, but they have to figure out a way to get the run game going. But uh, that's Colorado's story. Uh, I'll talk to Dion this week, and uh, I'll bring y'all some information either this week or early next week on my conversations with him because uh, I'm doing, also doing some work for uh, Anscape that you can find on uh, Anscape.com, which is one of uh, – used to be The Undefeated, which is one of ESPN's uh, – magazines online magazines um, let's move to those texas longhorns a uh, big win over uh baylor and what you want to see from texas man to me is is what you saw can you give us a good win can you can you act like you're a good team can you play like you want to be one of the nation's best teams yeah the win over alabama is terrific can you follow that up and beat the teams you're supposed to beat and so I was glad to see them beat and beat convincingly um, Baylor because uh, and Baylor's not playing real well right now to me. And so it was just good to see them beat Baylor. And, uh, you know, Quinn Ewers played pretty good. And what they need is some more of that, man. Like uh, what was Quinn Ewers? I was looking him up a minute ago. Uh, 18 to 23 for 293 in the touchdown. I mean, what's not to like with that, dog? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know Jonathan Brooks, eighteen for one hundred and six. Jatavion Sanders, five for one ten. Uh, Jonte Cook, my dude from Desoto, had a big play, fifty-one yard catch. Uh, Xavier Worthy only had three for thirty-one, but he scored. Um, a lot of completions of twenty yards or more. There's a forty-nine. There's a fifty-one. There's a pair of twenty-ones. Um, and then the Texas defense, hey, nice game, man. And so uh, they held Baylor down to three hundred sixty-five yards. Five of 18 on third down. And uh, this is what I like. 31 carries, 60 yards on the ground. So um, Texas with a big win. They got Kansas coming up. Let me tell y'all something, okay? Let me tell y'all something. This ain't the old Kansas. Nope. Don't even think about it. It's not the old Kansas. You're better than Kansas. You should beat Kansas. This is not the old Kansas. This is uh, one of the best program builders in America, Lance Leopold, L-E-I-P-O-L-D. I I forget where he was, but then he went to Buffalo, and he got Buffalo straight, and he came to Kansas from Buffalo. And Buffalo was playing good football when he left. He's a program builder, and I'm telling y'all, he going to have Kansas being a good team for the next few years. And here's why. I think he's happy in Kansas. Like, he got a Division I program. He got more money and more facilities to work with than he's ever had. And he, to me, this just me, he, to me, is a guy like Gary Patterson at TCU. Like, I like it here. The expectations here, I can manage. They'll treat me like a god here. We're going to have success because guess what, though? Texas and Oklahoma are gone. Ain't no big dogs in the Big 12 left. There's no big dogs in the Big 12 where you say, damn, we really, I mean, every now and then we might be able to steal one, but Texas and Oklahoma are going to run this thing if we're going to be honest. Oh, them, them boys are gone. This thing wide open. Wide open. Everybody should feel like, hey, we got a shot. And the teams they're bringing in, you know, Colorado, the teams from the, uh, from the Big 12, I mean, from the Pac-12, they can compete with them. At some point. So I think it's wide open for Kansas and Texas. I mean, with Texas leaving. But this, to me, 
just so you know, Kansas is 4-0, ranked number 24. Uh, it's at the crib for Texas, and so they should win. But uh, don't sleep on them, and uh, don't take it for granted. Uh, next, Texas A&M. I got to give it to the Aggies. That was a good win over Auburn. I don't know how good Auburn is, but I think it was a good win for them. Uh, they got Arkansas this week. Arkansas 2-2, two two, the Aggies 3-1. Aggies lost a quarterback and the backup came in, so we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see who ends up playing this week. But uh, the question with the Aggies is never talent. It's always execution and performance. Um, you know, this is the kind of game where they should go beat Arkansas, but, dog, you can't trust them. Nope. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, I don't have a lot to say about the Aggies, but uh, I, know y'all, I know a lot of y'all love them, so I give them some love. Uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Slugfest game. Hold on, what? Hold on. Boy, I hate a man want to play the music for the Buckeyes. Better, better late <laughs> than oh, never. Hi, yo. Boy, you gonna take me back to my old days. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. You want me to tell you one of my happiest moments this this week? Nah, man. Boy, you gotta turn it down, man. I'm I'm hearing it too much. Uh, one of my happiest moments was I'm at a bar in Eugene with. Uh, you gotta understand how so, it's it's funny when you go to other parts of the country. I'm actually at a brewery in Eugene. It's probably a half a block walk from the hotel, which is why I'm there. I walk in. And you're thinking, oh, it's Ohio State and Notre Dame. It's a big game. Two top ten teams. That'll be on the TV. Dog, that ain't on TV. You know what's on TV? Colorado, Oregon. No, I was at that game. Yeah. No, you're right, though. It was Oregon State, Washington State. Yeah. It's on every TV. And so I pulled out my phone, and I got YouTube TV. And so I'm watching the game on my phone while I'm eating a salad and some wings. All right? My son, and so the game is over. We somehow snatched defeat from victory, and we win the game. Uh, 17-14 on the last play, really, with Notre Dame having 10 men on the field, which is inexcusable. My son, my dude, sends me a text that says, uh, hold up, let me, but these are these, are these great father-son moments. He goes, uh, I thought we were going to give it to them. Oh, my God. Man, that was close. And I'm just like, you know what? I raised that boy properly. I just really raised him properly. I don't have to tell him that Ohio State Notre Dame is on. He watching the game, even though he goes to North Texas. He watching the game. He's emotionally invested. And, yeah, that's why that's my dude. Uh, and I think he's going to Ohio State next year. So he's already, uh, he's already getting involved in it. But uh, it's a good win for the Buckeyes uh, on the road. I'm interested to see. They, I think they're off this week. Uh, interested to see what happens with their quarterback. Their quarterback, a guy named Kyle McCord, was a five-star coming out. He was Marvin Harrison Jr.'s high school quarterback, okay? So Marvin Harrison Jr., we all know what he's doing in college football. So uh, I thought um, I'm interested to see if this kind of win does some things for his confidence and makes him play a little freer, a little looser. Because he's shown some flashes, but I'm telling y'all, man, 
whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's pros, if you don't have an elite quarterback, you're just going to struggle every week. That's just what it is because they're not going to be able to make the plays that allow you to separate. That's just me. But So, uh, so you, you still think uh, that pregame stuff don't matter? How about your boy Ryan Day going off on Lou Holtz? <laughs> mm. You didn't like what you didn't like what Coach Holtz had to say. No, I say I mean, I think it, what it happens is after the game, if you win, it allows you to express yourself. But I don't think he was thinking about Lou Holtz one moment during the game. After the game, okay, now I'm finna talk my shit. But during the game, I don't think he spent any time whatsoever thinking about Lou Holtz. It's not Maybe. that you're thinking about what. It's not that you're thinking about Lou Holtz. It's the emotion. If you can get your team jacked up before the game and then go back in the half and get them jacked up at half, it's the emotion that you hold on to. It's the anger through the whole game. You know, Lou Holtz talks shit about us. They stomped our logo. Eh, you're looking for motivation in a way. It's not that you're holding on to the words. It's you holding on to the feeling when you go whoop somebody's ass. That's what I'm saying, if that makes sense to you. All right, well, what's the, what's, what's the thing somebody said to you at Sam Houston or Coke College that got you fired up? Uh, Arlington High stole our goat or something from Sam Houston, and they painted it or something. I don't know. I hated Arlington High. And it didn't take, it didn't take a whole lot of words to, 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 to get Arlington High. So that was our rival. Maybe they took the Bluebird buses to practice, and we took the Raggedy buses to practice. I don't know. It was something that coached them. They probably made that stuff up, but they, you know, the administration likes us better than Arlington High. So it was kind of stuff like that. Just little stuff. All right. Uh, I got you. When you're talking about quarterbacks, um, that's Alabama's problem. They started, uh, what's the guy's name? Jalen Mill? Mill Shoe? Mill, Mill Rose. Mill Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not great, but he gives them the best chance to win because he can run and make a play. He got a great arm, even though he don't know where it's always going. And then uh, that Alabama defense is going to always show up. And so uh, it was good to see uh, him get a chance to play. Uh, You know, I respect Alabama. You know, you get tired of winning and and destroying your team, and so you you end up hating them because they're so good. But you hate their excellence. You don't really hate them. You hate their excellence and and the fact that they win all the time. But – I refer that over Lane Kiffin. I'm not a big Lane Kiffin guy, so I was glad to see him get beat. And did you realize Lane Kiffin is like 1-19 against Power 5 teams in the top 25? Mm, nope. <laughs> well, there you have it. He keeps getting the job, though. So. Oh, well, you know, that, that goes without saying. He, he a good interview. No, you know, he brings something to the table, so I'm not, uh, I'm not hating on him because hate is unjustified criticism. So I'm not going there on him. I'm just saying that uh, I don't mind when he loses. I feel good about it. <laughs> All right, that wraps up our college football conversation let for me, today. Let me let me interject here. Yes, I, I, we talking about Ohio State. I just thought about some things. I thought about something that made me laugh a little bit. The first time I showed up at your house, what did I have on my head? You remember? I have no idea. I had a Michigan hat. Oh, I probably um, said, dog, you ain't finna yeah. walk up in here with that <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I had no I had no idea. You know. <laughs> but I, you know, I was coming over to hook up your TV or something and 
you right, know, we, right. was, we was gaming or whatever, and and uh, I showed up at at your house with a Michigan hat on, and you was nah. like, "Man, I, I, I'm I'm gonna let you in anyway." I didn't know what the hell you was saying. I had nah. no idea about the rivalry, but I like Michigan's colors, so I had a Michigan hat. Nah, I probably knowing me, I was probably like, "Man, you gotta put that car, that hat back in the truck, dog." Um, no, yeah, no. But that's that might have been when you were still uh, sitting on top of a rock for hours at a time. So yeah, I, I was still in the military. You wasn't making me take the hat off. You I was gonna act. say that, that you time you probably yeah. you probably five ten by two twenty five sculpted. it. So I probably like yeah, yeah whatever, dog. Yeah, it's all good. You let me I, in. Yeah, I take your ass now, though. <laughs> Boy, dream. We all got our dreams, don't we? <laughs> no, nah, I'm, I live in reality. Yeah, uh, but anyway. Uh, let's, let's leave college football and talk about something we ain't talked about in a minute. Uh, those Texas Rangers. But first, before we get to the Rangers, I got to tell y'all about CTC Chiropractic. Let me tell y'all something. I tell you, I got this pinched nerve, and uh, uh, the doctors over there at CTC have been working on it probably for about six weeks now. Yesterday... They may have finally solved the problem. Now, what's wild is, you know, normally when you think about getting adjusted, you think about laying on your face down on the table. They do some things to your back, and then you get up and leave. Well, yesterday, he did some things to my back, but then he started working on my shoulder. And then he, uh, then he popped my neck, and then he said, hey, Mr. Taylor, stand up. He said, okay. He said, now put your hand over your heart like you're pledging allegiance. I did that. He said, okay, now lean back on me. Put all your weight on me and lean back. I said, okay. And then I heard, and that's not bones popping. That's really gas being released from your bones. Because trust me, I asked about that one of the first times I went there. I said, man, why are my bones cracking like that? It's not your bones, sir. It's the gas between your bones that's, that's being emitted, and it makes that noise. So, dude, I felt some instant relief, and I said, what did you do? He said, well, I think we finally figured out. We moved your, I moved your shoulder blade in because your shoulder blade was kind of pressing on your ribs and, and that was putting some pressure on the nerve and that's why you're feeling that tingling. So I think we got it now. Now y'all might be shaking your head. All I'm telling you is my arm has not tingled since I left yesterday. All right? And so now we're working on close to 24 hours. So maybe they solved it uh, and got that last little bit out of it. But anyway, that's why I go to CTC Chiropractic. It's not just to solve problems that pop up. It's to keep me, keep me feeling good all the time. So they got three locations in DFW, uh, Dallas, Trinity Groves, where I live, and Frisco. Uh, go now. Thank you, boy, later. Check them out, ctcchiropractic.com. Schedule an initial appointment, and make sure you tell them your boy JJT sent you. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you, Doc, have you paid any attention to the Texas Rangers. I know they, they match numbers number four. It's okay. Four. Yeah. Well, I've been, you know, I, I grew up a baseball fan. Uh, I've always liked baseball. I really had a great time, the best time ever when Ron Washington was here because he taught me so much about baseball and we got, we got along so well that I could ask him anything about the game. And uh, he, he would explain it to me. And so my baseball knowledge just, you know, just expanded so much. And then, plus they were winning, going to World Series, Championship Series, all that stuff. But then came the baseball change and it became this three outcome. Walk, strike out a homer. 
And the game got so boring, and the Rangers were so bad that I really quit paying attention to them. Uh, and now you've got this team, and this team started off so hot, and the rule changes which sped up the game kind of brought me back to baseball. So at least I've been following the Rangers, keeping up with them, and I'm not going to lie to y'all. And y'all, I, I don't want, you know, tell that, the truth. That was, your, that was your first big gig, the Rangers. You know, remember you was covering, well, look, you was covering girl soccer and – See, uh, you know what? Uh, I wasn't you know even what? I wasn't reading none of your stuff when you was covering girl soccer, but you know that was you know, it'd be you still it'd be, my boy. It'd be your friends that take you down the hardest. I just no, want y'all no, to know. You see was, how he that, threw in that girl soccer thing right there? Well, yeah. The I girl, mean, everybody got to start somewhere. The swimming article and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, I remember that was your that was like one of your that was like your first big deal right there. To me, you know, hey, my boy, my boy made it. You know. And you calling me at the 92 Super Bowl going, dog, guess where I'm at? So, you know, that was kind of cool, too. You know, he was like, ah, I'm at the Super Bowl. And, uh, uh, but I remember the uh, the Rangers, man. That was that was, that was was a big deal to me. No, you, it was, you, it was a big up. deal to me because yep. it was my – so I'm, I'm impressed you remember that. That was my first big promotion yep. uh, from high schools to the Rangers. But uh, these Texas Rangers, man, they are the streakiest team. In baseball. Uh, and so right now, they're on a heck of a streak. And what happened was, remember that obliteration when Houston, you know, it was a big series uh, with Houston. You're a game back of Houston. Uh, they come in town and they just, I mean, they destroyed the Rangers. They beat them 13 to 6, 14 to 1, and 12 to 3. And this is what I'm saying is, I want y'all to be honest, okay? Don't lie to yourself. You ain't got to lie to me, all right? Be honest. I thought the playoffs were a wrap at that time because they were in such a bad spot. And then when they lost to Oakland, the worst team in American League, or the second worst, uh, depending on if uh, Kansas City has surpassed them. When they lost to Oakland 6-3 to the next day, I was like, well, that was September 8th. I was like, well, I think this thing is a wrap. Uh, they were a year ahead of schedule. They just faded. They had too many injuries in the rotation. The, uh, the bullpen is just a disaster. And so I think this thing is over. And lo and behold, they took the last two games of Oakland. Okay, big deal. Then they went into Toronto, and you're like, well, Toronto and them are kind of battling for a wild card spot. You know, if they can take three out of four or split the series, they'll still be in okay shape. Well, they went and won four from Toronto. And I was like, well, damn. They gave them six in a row. Then they went right to Cleveland and lost three in a row. Then they lost the first game at home to Baltimore. They lost four in a row. The problem is the Astros were fading and the Mariners were fading. And then what happened? Finally, real talk now, the Rangers got the entire lineup back. You know, they had six All-Stars. They spent most of the second half playing without one, two, or three, or all of those guys. They finally got the lineup back. Josh Young came back. Aroldis Garcia came back. And then the guy that they called up, who's been the best call up in the big leagues, Evan Carter, who they plugged into the number nine hole, the rookie, he's been killing it. And all of a sudden, your Texas Rangers have won six in a row. They swept Seattle. Uh, they beat Los Angeles last night. They got two more games against uh, the Angels. They got a magic number of four to win the Division Three to get to the playoffs. They don't need no help. Just take care of your business 
And here's what I'm telling you. If they can win the division, something that seemed highly unlikely just a month ago or a couple of weeks ago, then they can get like a two, three, four days off so that they can set the rotation the way they want it so their everyday guys can get a little bit of rest. And I'm telling you, when the Rangers lineup is straight, when they got the guys that they want in the lineup, I'm not talking about the rotation. I'm talking about the lineup. They create problems for you because that lineup is long, is lengthy, is deep. They swing at strikes. They don't strike out a lot, and they can punish you in every area of the lineup. And that allows them to score runs, which does what? Take pressure off the pitching staff and the bullpen because you don't have to be perfect because they're going to give you some runs to work with. Uh, if, they can get, if they can finish this off, they're going to be a very dangerous team in the playoffs and the kind of team that nobody wants to deal with because that lineup is so potent. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm very impressed by them because they had every opportunity to quit and lay it down and give in. And I think sometimes when you got a veteran manager like a Bruce Bochy who's won three World Series and has seen everything, you know, not once during that awful stretch when they seemed like they were losing every game and they blew their lead uh, to the Astros, not once did he go ballistic or not once did he have a temper tantrum. He always said something basically, well, this is baseball, you know, I believe the guys will turn it around, this, that, and the other thing. And so now your Texas Rangers – are uh, four wins away from uh, clinching the American League West, which nobody had on their radar at the, uh, at the beginning of the season. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a heck of a ride for them. And, uh, dude, they're playing with so much confidence. I think that they're going to, uh, to get it done. And that, to me, would be one of the more amazing stories in uh in baseball this year because i don't think anybody had the rangers uh winning winning that thing in the american league west so we'll see what happens in a couple days when we talk again but uh for big join the big rig i'm jean jacques taylor thanks for listening to jack talk sponsored by greening law remember subscribe rate and review and please follow your heart give us that five-star review until we chat again be blessed